I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dr. Amy D. Morris. She's a cancer survivor and has a doctorate in cancer care. Let's talk about it. Um, well, this would be really fun. Uh, we are sitting down with Amy Morris, Dr. Amy D. Morris. Yeah. Um, and uh, Amy, where, did you say you're from Saskatoon? I am. Yeah, I was born and raised in Saskatchewan, but I live in uh, Saskatoon now. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about um, two things. Uh, A, your experience as someone who has uh, gone through the the battle of cancer. Um, and then also on top of that, the work that you do that actually has to do a lot with cancer yeah. and, and cancer survivors. So yes. I guess to start, what can a doctor you? Yeah. So my education's all in pharmacy. So I did my undergraduate degree in pharmacy. Um, then I did an acute care residency. Um, and then I went university of Toronto and did a doctorate degree, um, in pharmacy as well. So Ah, yeah, I've always specialized in cancer care, but that's kind of the path, the education path I took. Is, is pharmacy and is pharmacy and pharmacology used interchangeably? No, not quite. Uh, pharmacology is a bit more a study of the actual drug and the molecules itself, whereas pharmacy would be a bit more of the clinical aspect or applied aspect. Of it. Uh, okay. okay. Never do you, that. do you train in like both of them and then specialize or, you or do is a it- little bit of pharmacology within your pharmacy, um, training. Um, I love pharmacology too. Like drugs are cool. They're interesting, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. How they work in our body. That's really cool. Um, so I personally like it, but yeah, you do a little bit of crossover. Cool, you yeah. could say we're all a little bit of like pharmacologists. Um, just like, we're, like we dabble yeah, in I, pharmacology. Yeah. <laughs> like home. I mean, yeah. I take like 40 pills a day, so I guess I'm kind of an expert. Yeah, yeah you are. You are, yeah, for you sure. Love and, then I do, and then I do LSD as well. So, like, I just dabble in all of it. That's it's, specialized research, I'd say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, Amy, uh, that's, that's really cool. And, and so you, you were focusing on, on cancer care even in, in like, schooling and, and, and afterwards, like, when you yeah. started to actually work in the field? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, um, after I was done my acute care residency, I... Moved back to Saskatoon and I really just kept bugging the manager at the local cancer center here for a job. That's how I get anything in life. It's just purely persistence. Um, (laughs) So I just kept messaging her and saying like, hey, I'd like to work at the cancer um, center. Got a job. Then three months later, I'd ask again. And I don't really know why I wanted that. Um, I had a little bit of exposure at that time, but not a ton. But I just kept asking her. Um, Until I got a job. And then um, I started working in cancer care in 2011. Um, And now it's pretty clear as to there was some kind of higher force or pressure that was pushing me in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of how I got my start in cancer care. 
And <laughs> and as a uh, as a uh, would I call you a pharmacist? Yes. Yeah. As a pharmacist. Um, what does what does cancer care look like in terms of like the way that you actually practice and the way that you deal with patients on a sort of day-to-day basis? Yeah, there is so much, like there's so many options that you can take there. I mean, the premise of treating cancer really revolves largely around three different treatment modalities. So radiation, surgery, mm-hmm. and chemotherapy. And chemotherapy is all about the drugs. Mm. Um, and even as we've evolved in cancer care, we're getting more away from IV chemotherapy and more towards oral chemotherapy Hmm. Oh wow! with the oral treatments. They're crazy expensive and they have really weird and wonderful side effects. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there, but where I started my career was at the chair side, like at the bedside. So Women would be getting um, treatment for cancer, and I would be at their side explaining the drugs, explaining the side effects, and managing those side effects too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's what's the reason for the the shift away from IV meds and more of a focus on oral oral based mm-hmm. uh, chemo? Well, a couple of reasons. You can see that um, from a patient perspective, it's a lot more desirable to take a pill at home than to go sit for like a six hour chemo treatment. Um, And some of those medications are also becoming what's called targeted therapy. So we're actually targeting certain receptors on cancer cells. Um, And so we can do that with an oral medication, Mm. whereas Mm. IV, like traditional IV chemotherapy, Um, It's really aimed at just destroying rapidly dividing cells. Sure. Right. It's just going through the whole body. Just like, we're going to wash this fucker out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas the pills are more like, all right, this we're going to like hone in on one spot. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. I imagine um, uh, like IV chemotherapy is, is really like hard on your, your veins too. So it's a big reason why ports are like a, a, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I believe like, because chemo is essentially just poison that it's, it's not typically not good for veins, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I personally like have, I think redheads are known for having poor veins. Um, so (laughs) I never did have good veins. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, yes, I agree. I had a port right away Mm -hmm. in terms of my treatment. I'm, I'm curious, curious, Amy, and you said something that really stuck out to me, which was talking about like sitting by a, a patient who's getting treatment for whether it's the first time or they're on their last round of chemotherapy. Um, it makes me think of, and, and you said like the, the, the weird and wonderful sort of side effects and symptoms mm-hmm. that come from that. And, um, I, I think immediately of my mom's experience, um, going through chemotherapy when she had cancer. And I know that the, the drugs for her were awful, um, as I know they are for, for most people. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, is that my mom um, was somebody who was was never really like into recreational yeah. drug use yeah. growing up. Um, and before uh, weed was legalized in Canada, my mom was going through a cancer treatment, and we actually, my brother and I, primarily my brother helped her apply for a, a medical uh, exemption so that she could use um, THC and CBD. And my mom was pretty resistant at first, but um, when she took it, it was like, it was really like a miracle drug for her in terms of like, 
you know, even giving her her appetite back and like reducing some of the pain that she was experiencing. And it was really incredible for me to see that because like as somebody who smoked weed recreationally, I was like, ah, it will be like good for you. But like I did, I don't think I realized the profound effect that it, it had from um, like a medical lens. So I guess in terms of like treating the side effects and symptoms of for patients going through chemo and, you know, maybe through the lens of like, like using THC or CBD, um, what is that process like and what sort of options are there for, for patients who are going through a chemotherapy treatment? Yeah. Um, so I would say like from just to start this all off, like from a personal perspective, kind of feel like I walk in the middle of the road on this one. Mm. Like personally, I've used mm. cannabis products a, a few times. Um, I wouldn't say I regularly use them, but I'm not opposed to it. You know, mm. like if someone around me wants to do it, I'm not at all opposed or, or if a patient wants to use it. So I'm just kind of like neutral mm. in terms of cannabis. Um, but when I look at the literature, like, so when I look at the actual evidence and the side effects of chemo and where we should be using these marijuana derivatives, um, I really am looking at what different side effects are they actually effective against. Mm -hmm. And the problem that we see with marijuana online, especially is it's kind of touted as this like cure all for especially people with (laughs) cancer. Like I always laugh. That's the most peer pressure I've ever had to use cannabis in my life. (laughs) Forget my teenage years. It was when I was diagnosed with cancer. You got cancer. You got (laughs) to smoke weed now, man. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I I really want to look at like what we have the literature for. Mm. And so there is some, like there's great um, literature for some side effects, just not all. Like Mm. nausea would be a good example. Yes. Yeah. I spent the first part of my career actually working with kids with cancer and in our Canadian guidelines for managing nausea is a cannabis derivative. Like it's a pharmaceutical drug, but it's cannabis. Hmm. And we use those drugs for kids when they're getting chemo. It helps their appetite. It reduces their nausea. And like, that's the mainstay because it's been shown to be effective. Right. Mm -hmm. mm. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to. No, I was just going to say, so like, Some side effects, I'll say like, hey, like if you're super anxious and you want to use cannabis for that anxiety, like the literature we have is that overall, it doesn't work that great. Mm, Um, For some people it might, um, but sometimes it can make your anxiety worse too, right? And so I try to take still like an evidence-based approach to using that product when I can. Totally. And for my mom, it was specifically nausea and, uh, and the appetite really, which was like the two, which was the hardest thing for her, um, going through her chemo treatment was basically that she just felt nauseous all the time and had no appetite to eat. So now she's a snack Lord. Yeah. Yeah, My mom loves snacks. She loves a good old snack. (laughs) She's a snacker. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, um, that kind of just one more kind of, I guess, follow up question to that on, on the cannabis topic and, and whether it's cancer specific or, or, or more broadly, I remember having a conversation um, with a, f- a friend of mine who um, <clears throat> who was in med school at the time, and this was like right when cannabis was becoming legalized nationwide. And I remember asking him, like, what do you think, like from a medical standpoint, like what what do you think that this means? And he he kind of hypothesized that he thought that what the biggest change that that would have <laughs> would be the regulations that would be lifted and and, and would 
allow a lot more research to take place in terms of like what, like what things cannabis can potentially be used for medicinally. And, and that that would be kind of the, the, that he thought that that would be the, the ultimate breakthrough of legalization, that it would, it, it would come to be, you know, you'd be able to study it much more in depth. Is there anything that came that, that has come over the last few years of, of that being legal in, in order to be used from a medicinal standpoint that we just didn't know about before? You know, nothing sticks out in my mind, like directly. I've been using like cannabis products for my patients, like over the last decade. Right. Um, so nothing sticks out in my mind and I certainly don't at all disagree with that statement. I think that's probably true because when we look at the literature surrounding cannabis products, um, a lot of it comes from the seventies. Um, like a lot of it's really dated. Um, and the products were different then. They were, they were different. Um, so I, I agree with that. I think we'll probably see, um, some new, new evidence come out, Mm. which is always exciting. Um, back to the chemotherapy, there's something that, that you had said and and Brian, you had mentioned it too, that, that I thought I found quite interesting because I don't think I've ever heard it, the, this language, uh, used before in terms of like describing chemotherapy. When I think about chemotherapy, especially based on all the conversations we've had over the last six years with cancer patients, it's like this shit is awful. Like this is just the worst of the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. It's poison. Like it, 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 it hurts. It, it doesn't, there's nothing good about it. And one of the things you said was um, that, that chemotherapy comes with a host full of weird and wonderful side effects. And I was like, wonderful. Like what, what could, what is a wonderful side effect of chemo? I guess opposed from like, aside from killing the cancer, that yeah. that's pretty wonderful. Uh, yeah. But like, are there, yeah. are there other wonderful side effects that like, I just, I, I don't know about yet. No, I'd say overarching. And from my personal experience too, that it's pretty awful stuff. Yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts there. The first is that there is a weird and wonderful side effect that, a certain type of chemo make your eyelashes grow longer and thicker. So that's always uh, lovely. (laughs) That's fun. Um, Yeah. And then um, the other thing that I use a lot with my um, clients, with my patients that are recovering from chemo is a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of mindset practice. Mm. Um, So how we perceive what we're going through is going to have a big impact on our experience. And so I'll often say to women, you know, if you really think you're going to be nauseous, you are like, you will be because nausea is tied to anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we know women that are more anxious will have more, more nausea. So if we can find a way to shift our mindset around what we're going through or how we're recovering, that's Mm going to have like a direct impact on how, how we experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and the intro, like, I, I love that you, I love that you kind of bring that, bring up that point about sort of shifting our mindset. And, and one thing that I know that we've, we've talked about before is like how language really mm. does play a, a role in our own personal care. And especially when it comes to cancer, like you know, we did an entire episode on like, ah, that's on, why I reached out to you guys. Yeah. I right. To that episode. That was like a year ago. I it was, think. A, yeah, about a year yeah, ago. Which, we were talking about like cancer metaphors. Which and is like, funny yeah. that you started this whole conversation by, 
by introducing Amy saying, yeah, the, the battle. The battle. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Exactly. Like that, that thing that just slips out, the yeah. battle yeah. of cancer. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and for some people, like those metaphors are amazing and they work really well and they like give a sense yeah. of, of like, you know, this like warrior sense, like they're going to fight and, and they're, they're, fu- they're fighting for their life and it gives them power and it gives them strength. And then for others, like the, you know, they, they, they really don't resonate with that. And so like, what are, what are, what is the language that, that, that they can find that, that they can use to kind of help them through that experience? Um, uh, all that to, to say, I'm, I'm curious about your story in terms of, you know, someone who, spent uh, a great deal of time researching and, and studying, you know, these drugs that treat, um, uh, you know, one of the scariest sounding diseases that we have on the planet, you know, no one, everyone's afraid of the word cancer. Um, and, and how, what was the, what was your experience like in terms of, of all of a sudden being on the other side of that and realizing that you now have cancer? Um, yeah, I'm just curious about your your journey. Yeah, <laughs> my walk through the meadow, right? Yeah, there you I, go, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I had been practicing in cancer care for five years when I was diagnosed myself. So I was just, I just turned 30 years old and I had just finished my doctorate degree. Um, and then I kind of had these really vague, nondescript symptoms Um, at the time I was on team Canada, so I was part of the powerlifting team for team Canada. So I was training like four days a week for two hours at a pop. And I really knew my body. Mm. Um, and, uh, there was just some weird stuff going (laughs) on, you know, like I had heartburn all the time. Mm. Um, and I gained like a little bit of weight, but not a ton. Um, and I was like a little bloated, but like something similar to, you know, if you ate some Chinese food, it'd look like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was nothing really crazy, but there was certainly a nagging inside of me that was saying like, this is not right. Um, So I went to my GP pretty fast and uh, you know, she ran a couple tests, thought I was pregnant at first. I just gotten married. So, I mean, that checks out, but no. Um, And then you know, she just was kind of like, you know, ovaries are kind of weird. So let's just do an ultrasound, see what's going on. Um, and I had a tumor that was 21 by 10 centimeters. So it was the size of a football. Um, and it's just like amazing what our bodies will do to just keep the peace. Right. Um, so I had heartburn because my intestines were being squished all to heck and Holy fuck. And so, you know, stuff like this does happen to young women, especially like we get large growths on ovaries and they're typically benign. So you remove it, maybe lose that ovary as well, but it's not cancer or you don't need chemo. So everyone was really hopeful for me that it would be benign. Um, But then after, you know, a CT scan, I remember I had like (laughs) the crotchiest gynecologist um, known to Saskatoon at the time. And because I could get in with him the next day because no one wanted to. (laughs) I went and saw him and, um, you know, he was amazing. He was like, you know, tomorrow meet me at the hospital. I'm going to get you a CT scan. He's like, I don't know what the appointment schedule is like, but I'm going to be there and I'll stay until you get a CT scan. And he did. Mm. And then he came back and he said, 
look, kiddo, I'm sorry. Like you have cancer. Um, so after that point really is what, when things kind of started to escalate. Mm -hmm. So surgery, chemo, and then a really long recovery afterwards. And I think like reflecting on my clinical practice before I was diagnosed, I would like to smack myself across the face certain times because <laughs> there's things you say that are correct, right? They're correct in a textbook. They're correct on a product monograph. They are accurate, but it's just so out of touch with mm. what someone's going through. And I think now that I've gone through it myself, like there is a level of understanding that you can't really replace unless you go through it yourself and understand mm. that, um, it's kind of like the school of hard knocks, right? You did all the formal education and then you kind of do the real, the real life education mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. Can, can you give us some examples of like what those things are that you, yeah, like are correct, but maybe you yeah. don't say them like that? <laughs> yeah. So a big side effect of treatment is that half of women will actually have um, exhaustion or fatigue because of their treatment. We think the biggest thing is nausea. It's really not in terms of percentage wise. Because uh, we have pretty good drugs now, so we can manage that. But the exhaustion really impacts a woman's quality of life. And so lots of ladies would say, like, I'm exhausted. You know, I can barely get out of bed. And, I, and the guidelines say you should exercise. Hmm. So as someone that's exhausted, you say, oh, well, exercise will really help. It's counterintuitive. But, like, go for a walk around the block or you know, and when I went through it, I could barely peel myself off of my yeah, bed. Easier said than done. Yeah. Mm. So it was just like, if someone would have said that to me, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like yeah. to get to the bed, to the bathtub and back is, would be the day. Yeah. 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 So, so in that, in that, exa- in that example, because like, because the, the, the two things are simultaneously correct, right? Like exercise will help, but also exercises probably like maybe might be the single hardest thing that you'll do that in, in your life that day. Mm. How do, how, how does that, how, how do you, can, how do you get that important and, yeah. and ultimately useful information across to somebody who, who yeah. is in that mindset of, of wanting to kill the person that tells them to go exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we need to back like way up then. So with women that are like really exhausted in that state where they're having a hard time mobilizing around their house, I'll say, you know, before you fall asleep in bed at night in your bed, do some stretches like in your bed. That's it. That's what I, I'm not even calling it exercise. I'm calling it movement. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where I want you to start. Or like for me, when I was going through treatment, I, every day I would do three of the sloppiest sun salutations like you ever did see. Mm-hmm. Like they, I was just literally going through the movement of doing mm-hmm. it, but even just that helps so much. So I mm-hmm. think we just need to really back up and meet people where they're at in yeah. terms of what that means. Like sometimes exercise, they'll start shutting off in terms of listening. Mm-hmm. So like, let's call it something else. Cause when I say exercise, I'm not meaning like a Peloton class, right? Yeah. 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 And exercise is so, is so subjective to, to the individual, the you know, baseline. like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like who, who knows where that is. So you're, so the, so if the, if the stock suggestion is go for a walk around the block, you know, that's, yeah. but that, 
that connects with different people in different yeah. ways. Like that's so that's so subjective <laughs> to the individual. At least, at least being in, Van- in in Saskatoon, you can send people down to see Ryan Lear. To uh, like that's going to be some incentive There's to go nice see him. Plug for <laughs> one yoga. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> not even not even sponsoring the show. Yeah, I was going to say I hope you guys get paid for that. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know Ryan Lear, do you? Did you, did you make personally. that connection? No, okay. not personally. He's a great friend of mine. Um, I, would assume, I would assume if you're doing sun salutations in Saskatoon, I feel like you might know. In terms of like your, your own experience with uh, cancer, like what was the, what was sort of the timeline? Like, and, and, and where are you at today versus yeah. where you were? Yeah. So I was diagnosed in around Remembrance Day of 2016. Um, So I got married in September, late September of 2016. Then my husband and I went on a a two-week honeymoon to Italy and Greece. And then um, when I came home, that's when I was like, well, you know, I'm not like, I gained some weight eating Mm -hmm. pizza and cheese and drinking wine. Um, but I'm not losing this weight and I kind of feel off. So that's when I started kind of pursuing my symptoms. Um, and I was diagnosed pretty quickly because of the size of my tumor. Um, and then my surgery, so I was diagnosed around Remembrance Day and my surgery was November 25th. And then I started, did my first round of chemo before Christmas. Mm. Um, and then I did four rounds of intensive chemo. So I ended around uh, the end of March of 2017. Um, and then it took me about a year to recover from that treatment. Um, and now, so 2017, so was my last treatment. So I'm five years cancer free, um, which is a big milestone in the cancer world. Um, and I've also, we had, um, uh, our babe, we have our two and a half year old son, Max. So I had him in 2019. Mm. Um, and I'm expecting again at the end of March. Oh, oh so, you you much. so is Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. show it. He doesn't show it. No, yeah. I know. Yeah. You, you carry it well. Yeah, it's the sweater. It's the sweater. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. I wanted to ask about the, um, the, the mental health side of things, especially, you know, coming from your background and then, you know, having your own personal experience with, with cancer. And again, like relating to my mom's side of the story, um, I know for her, the mental health side of things was something that she didn't anticipate being as hard as it was. In fact, she said it to this day, she says it's the hardest part of going through a, a, an experience with cancer. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah. What type of cancer did your mom have? Bladder cancer. Okay. Okay. Um, I will always say that like, there's two people that really saved my life and it was my surgeon and my gynae oncologist, um, Mm. who actually our son, his middle name is named after him. Um, yeah. And then the second person I would say is my therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, so someone that specialized in medical trauma, someone who understood the world of cancer and like this medical system and what it's like to kind of be so outside of your body at times. Um, And for me, like there was an extra layer of complexity there because I actually worked with my oncologist before I was diagnosed. Um, Like I worked alongside him. Like we were colleagues. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with the nurses that like were starting IVs on me. 
Like these, these were all people, these were my coworkers. So for me to return back to that space, um, took a lot of dedication in terms of therapy to not Mm -hmm. be triggered every time I saw something or smelt something. Mm -hmm. Um, so my area of expertise is not, um, mental health, but it's critical to every single cancer thrivers recovery. Mm -hmm. And in terms of your experience, um, was it something that through your treatment was like obvious that like, Oh, the, the mental health thing is, is going to have to be an important focus or did that sort of come later? No, uh, no, I don't think anyone suggested that, or that wasn't really pushed. I actually met with my therapist before I even underwent surgery because I personally knew that that was going to need attention throughout and then after. So I started right away with my mental health um, recovery. Uh, But no, it's definitely not something that was um, like encouraged or supported. It wasn't discouraged, but it wasn't like, yeah. I, as uh, the guys know this, but I always, um, take the opportunity to talk about therapy if I, if I can get it. And, and, um, get ready. He's about to shrink you. No, no, I'm not. I I want to talk about, uh, no, no, I want to talk about my experience for a second too. But, uh, like I, I know that before going to therapy for me, I was the type of person who thought like, Oh, you know, like my mental health is in a, is in a good place. Like I don't need to go to therapy, but then going to see a therapist, I'm like, Oh fuck this shit's. (laughs) <laughs> super important all the time, even yeah. for like those seemingly mundane things that come mm. up on like, yeah. uh, uh, on like a, a, a monthly basis that like I use my monthly check-ins to like be like, Hey, like this thing popped into my mind and it seems weird that I'm thinking this way and yeah. sort of break that down. But I've always thought like if I was to ever, um, go through like a medical diagnosis or, or something that would be traumatic like that, I, I, I just think of like how invaluable it would be to like have that person to talk through that experience because even in the beginning, like when you, when you maybe think that something is like, you know, that you, you've got a good control of it, um, initially and you're like, okay, well like I'm good right now, but I could see how this could get bad. I think even at that point, it's really helpful to like start to lay the groundwork for understanding what types of effect that's having on your life. And, and, uh, you know, that's just my personal experience, but I, I feel like it's something that I believe to be true for, for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been really positive to see like the acceptance of therapy and counseling, mm. um, like even in the span of our lives, lifetimes, but um, like, there's still a lot of resistance there. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I grew up in a really big family. I don't think I was like, my mental health is like, I was like, yeah, there's probably some work we could do there, but I definitely had the same sentiment in terms of mindset work. I would say, I would say, I was like, I don't need to do any mindset work. Like I'm a hustler. I get shit done. Like I don't need that. And Mm. then I kind of dived into it and was like, Oh, Mm. yeah. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. A question that popped up into my head when you were talking earlier about your about your honeymoon and being in Italy and 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 you know eating lots of pizza and and, and bread and tomato yeah. sauce, I imagine, <laughs> um, is, um, is is if there's any um, I, I don't I don't know if this is in your if, if this is in your wheelhouse, but is, is there any evidence on um, like sugar uh, sugar and can and cancers and tumors and stuff? I've heard anecdotally the idea that. You know, consuming sugars when you have a tumor in your body can that the tumors feed off of that, and I I don't know if there's any evidence behind that or what that is. I've just heard it. I'm wondering if you know anything about that. Yeah, um, it's definitely within my wheelhouse for sure. Um, I get asked that question all the time. There is so much information available online about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat in regards to cancer, and I think what people don't realize is like the toll that takes on cancer survivors or cancer thrivers is that there's like a deep amount of guilt surrounding that you Mm. caused your cancer. Like you ate those gummy bears every night in university and now you have cancer Um, or you were stressed or (laughs) you drank too much or you whatever, you know? And so when we look at really like the literature around sugar and cancer, there is, and you're going to get so many hate messages about what I'm just about to say. <laughs> so get ready. Bring it on. <laughs> not like we're not used to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, but there is no link between sugar causing cancer or a cancer recurrence. But mm. here is what we do see in the literature. Okay. So if you are consuming sugar and that results in more calories and then you having extra weight, on your body, that can be linked with an increased risk of cancer. Mm -hmm. So it's more, more of the end game of, are you maintaining a healthy body weight? Um, rather than how you got to that body weight. So it's the same premise with dairy and with sugar, with intermittent fasting, all of these things are touted as like the cure or the prevention or the treatment of cancer. Um, but that's just not at all what we're seeing in the literature. Um, mm. We kind of dive deep into that. Right. Spe- speaking of um, um, using that word, the the quote unquote cure, I know that you said earlier um, that it's been five years since you've been cancer free. And uh, we were having this conversation mm, yeah. on the podcast the other day about using the word cure mm-hmm. um, when it comes to being cancer free. And what cure, like, what cure really, really definitively means. means um, I'm curious why, before we talk about it from our perspective, um, what, why don't we hear people saying that you're cured of your cancer? Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's kind of like this, it's along the same lines as the term survivor, right? Yeah. Um, so when, when do you get this badge of honor? Like when, when do you get to say, like, put your flag in the ground and say, I'm a cancer survivor? Um, you know, we do have some guidance in terms of guidelines of when they would use those types of terms. Um, but like, who gives a shit what the guidelines mm. say? Like, I always say to women, like, if you, I feel like I was a cancer survivor the day I was diagnosed with cancer. Cause like mm. my body has literally been surviving cancer 
Um, it's been here. I've been surviving. So I'm a cancer survivor. I take whatever term I want. Yeah. Um, and so I use it, but if you don't like to use it, then don't. Yeah. Um, I think like as a clinician, my oncologist would have never said I was cured. Um, because he's a really cautious, skeptical person, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Cause that takes pressure off of me and I can be a little bit more upbeat and relaxed about my treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like in terms of remission or cured, we do look at that five-year mark a lot, um, in Canada. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'd ever use the term cured to describe myself personally. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I think that like. I mean, it makes me think hearing you say that, I think that like really a personal preference is, is a yeah. big part of it. Um, you know, I think like, I think if I personally, um, was cancer free, I guess I like the term cancer free because it just mm-hmm. describes the state of your, yeah. your body. There's no cancer in it at that time. Um, I, I actually was thinking that I like the term cured if it was me, because it feels like I can no I no longer have to be anxious about it, you know, whether cancer is going to be in my body again, whether or not there's a higher likelihood of it coming back or not in the moment I'm cured of cancer. Yep. And, um, but I also realized that, you know, other people might not like to use that term remission to me, like sort of connotes like this, this idea that you're in this sort of limbo until the next yeah. time you get yeah. cancer, um, which feels like it could be almost like anxiety inducing, yeah. Um, but, doom, right? right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like it, it really, I feel like it, it is like, you know, somewhat of a personal preference. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And in yeah. the context of our conversation that we were having the other day, it was, it was, it, it was us, us interpreting the definition of cure differently. And yeah. I think Jeremy and I were sort of of the feeling that to say that you are cured from something, was to say that we've taken it away and it will not come back. Mm. And, and Brian's definition was more on the lines of what you had, we took, we took away. It's, it's right. gone now. Mm. And right. that it, do, it doesn't necessarily imply that it won't return in the future, but it's not there now. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of looking at it through these different lenses and thinking of like what kind of impact that that has on <clears throat> people's use of that, of, of that language. And like, and I guess ultimately the, the like longer term uh, mental sort of side effects that can come about because of the use of the language yeah. that, we, yeah. that we have. I think of like if you were if you were um, in the dating game and you went on a date with somebody and you were disclosing your your sexual health history and you were like, hey, listen, I had gonorrhea. I'm in remission now. <laughs> and your, your partner might be like, "Whoa, uh, so it's coming back." Wait, okay. wait, wait, wait. Oh, but if you were like, so it might yeah. come like back? "I had gonorrhea, <laughs> but it's cured." <laughs> Language or, or I'm gonorrhea free, then it would probably make your <laughs> yeah. partner feel like in that context you just say cure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cured. I think so. But there's no but if you're yeah. but there's no no telling that it won't come back. Okay, so. Brian. I, but it is like language <laughs> is fascinating and words oh. are fascinating in the way that we relate to me. Have you guys ever heard yeah. of Wordle? <laughs> I have. Yeah. yeah, I, I have, yeah. Um, Amy, unfortunately, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would like to, uh, you know, considering I, I would like to get into the the cancer freedom program. But before yeah, we do, sure. um, you know, considering the the fact that you've been on both ends now as as like a clinician, but also as a patient, um, one of the things, and and actually, we could probably even this this sort of even relates to like pregnancy. One of the things that I've heard so many times about both cancer and pregnancy is that. 
there's always this list of things that patients state like, oh, they never tell you this. They never tell you about this thing. Um, and I'm wondering if, if you have any insight into in or experience with what those things are um, that they don't really tell you about, especially from the, the perspective of a clinician who like, for the most part, knows a lot of the things to expect when cut, when be, when, when dealing with cancer. So was there anything that stuck out to you that you were like, Jesus Christ, they never told me this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny, your comparison of pregnancy to cancer of this foreign body growing inside <laughs> of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> uh, interesting. Um, experience both as well. So I think in terms of like side effects or what you, you shouldn't ex- or what you didn't think would happen during cancer. Um, gosh, like for me, and I didn't personally go through this, but what I hear from my patients a lot is with breast cancer survivors, which is the majority of women diagnosed or diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, but they just didn't realize that their treatment was going to be so long. And so they have to undergo uh, either a lumpectomy or mastectomy. They have to receive usually around six months of chemo. Then it's followed by 30 days of radiation in some cases. And then it's all topped off with hormonal therapy for 10 years. Whoa. And so like these oral anti-hormonal drugs, so they suppress your estrogen if you have that type of cancer. Um, they have side effects too. Like they make mm. you feel like garbage. They uh, contribute to weight gain, hot flashes, exhaustion, joint pain, muscle pain. Um, so they just didn't realize that like this was the trade-off of being mm. cancer-free was that it was going to be, you know, 12 years of having this reminder here. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I know that you do a lot of work in, in trying to, um, you know, trying to like help women regain a sense of, of ownership over their body after, after such a, you know, devastating struggle with, with cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you mentioned hot flashes. Um, you've mentioned a number of times, like, like weight gain, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, you know, loss of energy. Um, what are, what are, what are some things that, you know, I, I know that we have cancer patients that listen to the podcast regularly and, you know, maybe they're on their way out of their, their cancer. Maybe they're, they're heading towards this state of remission. What are some things that, um, that women can expect and, and what are the things that women can do in order to, you know, to reduce hot flashes, to mm-hmm. feel like they can reclaim their body, to mm-hmm. manage that, you know, the weight issues that might come with, with cancer? Yeah. You know, I think, um, that cancer recovery phase, especially for women that were high achieving before they were diagnosed. And I say women just cause I a hundred percent work with women, but this would apply to men mm-hmm. as well. But if you were high achieving before you were diagnosed to get you back to a state of being normal or recovered, the bar set very low in our medical system. Right. So like for me, I was a competitive strength athlete. I was career driven. And on the other side of cancer, the bar would be like, can you dress yourself? Can you go to the bathroom on your own? Um, 
so get back to work would be a good one, but like a resemblance of what the same career I used to have is like, that might not happen. Mm. And so there's really nothing that takes like high achieving people who are diagnosed with cancer and helps them get back to being high achieving. And that's all quality of life, you know? Like that is important to your identity and to the rest of your life. And with so many people being diagnosed young, it becomes really important. You don't want to feel like crap for the rest of your days. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of cancer recovery, there's a few things that become really important. And you mentioned hot flashes. And so a lot of women can't take a hormonal therapy, like replacement therapy, like estrogen, because it could fuel their cancer. So you're having hot flashes, but you actually can't take the cure for the hot flashes. Um, but there's a lot of things we can do in terms of exercise to reduce those hot flashes. So we just have to be really strategic about how we're using cardio and strength training, and we can get a 30% reduction in your hot flashes from that. Oh wow! And wow. then we can use um, what's called pace breathing or progressive muscle relaxation. So you can look that up on YouTube. There's tons of free stuff. There's good literature to show like that as well will get you a 30% reduction in your hot flashes. Mm. Um, Because we know women that have more anxiety have three times the amount of hot flashes. So we know there's a link Mm. there. Mm. So if we can use pace breathing or muscle relaxation, I mean, it's not as instant as taking an estrogen pill, excuse me, but you're going to get the results you're looking for. It just takes a little bit more time and dedication. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the strategy I take. It's more of nutrition and exercise and some lifestyle strategies. So as a pharmacist, I never, I wouldn't say never, but I hardly ever use drugs. We got to solve the big picture problems first. Mm. And a lot of that is making sure your body's fueled with food that's appropriate, fueled with energy that's appropriate, and then using lifestyle strategies to get you kind of that end result. Are you a weird pharmacist? Like, do other pharmacists look at you and go, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, yeah. give them the drugs. <laughs> I've, I've never been, I've never been a stereotypical pharmacist. You know, pharmacists are really detail orientated and they're really by the book and as mm. they should be, right? They keep mm-hmm. drugs under lock that are dangerous and they take care of your health. Uh, but I've never been like that. Um, mm. So it's okay to be a black sheep of the pharmacist <laughs> is, is fine. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, like if you, if, if there's, I, I, I would be of the personal opinion that, that if there's something that you can do without taking an intervention, you can take yeah. it. I, I, an inter, I mean, you can do interventions that are a kind of part of everyday life yeah. for, instead of, instead of pharmaceutical yeah. intervention. I mean, I yeah. think that that's, that should always be explored mm-hmm. before, before a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. intervention. Yeah. I think that's, that's, well, I've always carried the response. Like I've always felt a tremendous amount of responsibility in my career. And here's, here's the truth of the matter is that you're getting chemo and you're getting oral medications that caused you to have these long-term side effects. Mm. And so for me now to turn my back and be like, that's just the way it is. Like that's the cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. Like that's bullshit. And so I want to deal, like, even if I didn't personally give you the chemo, I want to support you through the side effects of what I gave you Mm -hmm. and, um, curing a side effect with another medication that could potentially cause a different side effect is, isn't my favorite. Sometimes it's necessary. Um, but let's start with these other things that 
resulted so much other benefit, right? Like mm. we haven't at all talked about like exercise in and of itself. We have a meta analysis now that shows you can get up to a 56% reduction in your risk of cancer recurrence just from exercise. Wow. 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 You exercise to target levels. I mean, it's nothing's guaranteed, but 56% reduction. Like, That's yeah, huge. please. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to, uh, I, I've become, and you guys are sick of this now, but I, uh, but I know that you, I know that I've, I've made a convert of you, Brian, a little bit. Um, uh, there's a podcast that I listen to a lot with a doctor named Peter Atia, and, um, he, he was talking about, um, he was talking about zone two training and, and the, the, the effect of zone two training on overall health. And he was saying that there is a, there, there is clear evidence to show that, that, um, that getting to a place of physical fitness and he, and I think he was saying like, it was something like, you know, just going from, I don't really do anything to doing a little bit of exercise gets you like 66% of like two thirds of the way to being in the top five percentile of fitness in the world. And, and that that is a five X reduction in all cause mortality and that, and that it was, and that in the inverse, but you like that, you never hear that, but you're, you know, you're definitely going to hear, you know, don't smoke cigarettes because they're going to lower your, they, you know, they're going to increase you know, all cause mortality, but you don't hear the flip side of, Hey, just like a little bit of this shit is going to reduce every reason that you could die by yeah. five times. And yeah. it's, it's, and I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, a massive uh, exercise enthusiast. So I, I latch onto that naturally, but yeah. I just, yeah, it just, when you, it just makes you feel so good yeah. <laughs> and, and does every, it does enhances everything that I, I just, I, I adore it. I love it. Totally. Yeah. I wonder, like there was a meta-analysis. I think it was a meta-analysis that came out in January of this year that looked at steps, like the number of steps you take. And basically like the bot, my summary of the bottom line is walk more, die less, like for any, Mm. from any cause. (laughs) So walk more steps, less likely to die. The end period. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that the, I think that when I was listening to, to that, it was, they started talking about how, the idea of like being fit or fitness or exercise is way too commonly understood at, of like high level mm-hmm. exercise and mm-hmm. high level fitness, but you get most of the gain at the, at the entry level of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The, the, one of the biggest things that like, since I, I got my dog and I've been taking him on dog walks, it's like, yeah. like going outside and just walking for 30 minutes for, for my mental health yeah. has been yeah. cr- like a it's made a, a massive dis- difference and it's so easy to like, if you don't, if you think that it's boring to go outside and go for a walk or whatever, like there's fucking audio books, podcasts, yeah. music, like yeah. get a fucking pet. Like, a trillion yeah. thoughts. There's so many yeah. different things that <laughs> I'm a big fan of reading while walking, reading yes. a book while walking. Yeah, totally, totally, totally yeah. safe. Totally Especially safe. in a busy yeah. city. Yeah. 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 Um, Amy, uh, I would love, uh, before we, we come up to time yeah. here, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, the cancer freedom program. What's it all about? Um, how did it begin? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, when I was going through my own personal recovery, that was kind of the real eye opening piece for me. Um, like at that point I'd always worked at the chair side or the bedside, always worked in a hospital, helping women actually through their treatment. 
Um, but then I realized like, you're just kind of hung out to dry at the end. Like you're kind of told you're done treatment, like go be well, eat healthy exercise, you'll recover. Um, but there's a lot of long-term side effects that you have to navigate now and there's not a lot of support. So that's when I really shifted my career to helping women with recovery. Um, so that's where the cancer freedom program was born. Mm. So I, uh, really took it upon myself to investigate what was going to be the most useful. And so I had a research background at this point. I had been a principal investigator in my own uh, research studies. I had five years of clinical practice and 10 years of post-secondary education. And then my own, um, my own network having gone through that. So that's where I focused my time, tried a lot of those strategies on myself. And now I've tried um, use them for over 200 women in my program. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of where it was born. And so really the program, it focuses on getting your body the right nutrition exercise that you need to recover. After you've kind of gone through this traumatic event on your body, um, your body just needs different things mm. than it used to. And it's not good or bad. It's just different. Um, so if you want it to perform to kind of the level that it used to perform to, we just need to fuel it differently. Mm. We could like make a really big um, political movement around this where you like just do ultra marathons from Saskatoon to uh, to Ottawa and call it the ca- the cancer freedom convoy. Oh, oh no. Brian, you Brian. Son of a bitch. <laughs> no. You son of a bitch. Don't wrap me up in that. <laughs> no, no, we're reclaiming Brian's, it. We're Brian's reclaiming attached. it. <laughs> Brian's attached. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Amy D, um, this has been a real treat. Um, wow. it's been so fun to talk to you. How can people, um, how can people follow the work that you do and get involved if, if they're curious about the cancer freedom program? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I live there. I'm always on Instagram. It's Amy D farm D, um, is my handle. Um, or you can find me at Amy D farm is my website. Um, and other than that, I'm on all the platforms. I'm just on TikTok. Just joined y'all nice. on Sweet. Oh yeah. I'm on Here's, Pinterest. Yeah. Um, Get those yeah. Zoomers. Uh, the Zoomers heard it. That's it. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's I, right. I, I, uh, I've been dabbling back on TikTok. Again, I know. I, I know. like it. I, I actually like it. Yeah. Um, Amy, right. <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much. This has been such a, a delight and it was yeah. so nice to meet you. And uh, on behalf of myself and the, the guys and all of our guests, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the chat, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. There you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Amy D. Morris. Uh, again, go check out her Instagram. It's fucking awesome. Amy D. P H A R M D. Amy D. Farm D. I <laughs> Amy D. Or Amy Deep Harm D. Um, anyway, go check out her Instagram. She was awesome. Loved chatting with her and uh, loved that you were here to listen. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. If you want to support the show further, you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or um, even simpler, simpler than that. If you listen on Spotify, you can rate the podcast on your mobile app. Um, and of course, if you want to join the conversation, as always, you can check out our discord. The link is in the bio, uh, lots of fun conversations happening over there. Episode discussions, wordle channels or sharing our wordles, all that fun stuff. So come hang out, uh, join the community. It'd be really fun. 
Sick Point Podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design is coming to you from our good friend Donovan, the CPAP Morgan. And the music from this week's episode is from the now defunct Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Point. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.